Hello and welcome to the Transfer Window. The podcast brings you the news before it becomes news. And of course, we also bring you insight and analysis on all the things that you're debating out there in the planet of football. One of the most mentioned names of this summer window has been that of Bruno Fernandes. Now, we have brought you updates throughout the last few weeks about the great BF and his non-move. But, Duncan, you have some news that may be welcome to Bruno and Sporting Lisbon. It's welcome to Sporting. Um, Whether it turns into the transfer that a lot of Manchester United fans are hoping for, we will find out. Um, Sporting have been informed by... Bruno Fernandes' agent, uh, his brother-in-law, Miguel Pino, that an offer will come in from Manchester United this week. Um, The Sporting have uh, uh, retained the pricing on the player. In fact, uh, slightly increased it, I think, um, uh, given this news from the brother-in-law. And they're saying that they will not sell the player for less than 60 million euros. Um, the, the flaw, of course, is that Miguel Pino has been telling Sporting uh, that an offer would be coming in from major clubs um, for several months now. So I think there's a degree of scepticism at the Portuguese club that this offer will come. Um, but they are ready to sell if the money is right uh, and remain hopeful that they'll be able to cash in on the player. Um, as we've told you before, is uh, Fernandez is the, the figure in their squad that they identified as the player they wanted to sell this summer to raise cash, uh, the most valuable player given the goals he scored last season. Um, and they will be and they are ready to to deal at the right price. I'm also told um, from the sporting end that, that there is some interest uh, in from French clubs. Um, again whether that transpires into a bid or not remains to be seen Um, what they have done is agreed to deal with another Manchester club uh, for one of their younger players uh, Felix Correa a Portugal under 19 winger who is um, very highly regarded and and thought of as um, good good category and class of player who could turn into a a future um, Portugal international Uh, Manchester City have paid 3.5 million um, euros as an initial fee with another 3.5 million of bonuses to come depending on his, his performances going forward um, that deal hasn't been formally announced but the, the figures are all in place with Sporting and they're happy with it and ready to, to sell the right winger to England um, later on this summer Fantastic as always Duncan, thank you for that update we can also update you on Harry Maguire um, obviously there's been uh, as yet um, no confirmation of Manchester United's purchase of the player. Um, we reported that an offer originally of £60 million plus £20 million in add-ons had been accepted by Leicester City. Now, it turns out, let's say it turns out, it has transpired because transfers change hour by hour, never mind day by day. But Leicester's chairman and has decided that why should they wait for the extra £20 million? Manchester United are a club who are obviously financially wealthy, and uh, also are hopeful, of course, and should be selling players like Romelu Lukaku um, this summer for a fee similar to the one that they want for Harry Maguire. 
So that has changed in terms of the valuation of the player. The valuation of the player is still £80 million, but without the add-ons. It's also the case that the club, and I mean Leicester City, um, know that their fans will be, I think, disappointed, if not some of them quite angry, um, at selling their one of their best players. And um, it's usually good business for a club to appease that kind of feeling in the fan base by presenting the player's direct replacement before uh, they sell the player who's outgoing. Um, now, they've not managed to agree any fee yet or any transfer. The targets, of, as we told you, are Lewis Dunk of Brighton and James Tarkovsky of Burnley. Neither of those players' uh, agreement has been reached by Leicester City. Um, we believe Dunk is the preferred candidate above Tarkovsky, but neither um, has been agreed. And therefore, this will rumble on. And um, we will, of course... Keep you up to date with those hour-by-hour changes um, because that's what we do on the transfer window. We try to keep you in the loop as things happen. And we don't just do it on the podcast. As you know, we do it in our social media as well. Uh, and we, we engage with you guys when you ask us questions and you ask us why has this not happened yet. So we like to try and keep you up to date with everything. Willie Gunnar Solskjaer has given an interview to the BBC in Australia from uh, their training camp there. And there's a couple of lines in that interview regarding transfers. He was asked about uh, whether he was the man who decided Manchester United's transfer strategy. And and he replied, there won't be any players here I don't want. Um, We're still looking at one or two options, but it depends on outgoings. It might be more because if suddenly two or three go, then you have to replace players. Um, and also talking, um, asked about Paul Pogba um, and asked about convincing um, Pogba whether he should uh, stay at the club or not. He came up with this interesting line that, um, you know, it's the best feeling you can have to be at this club when we are successful. The ones that might want to leave now haven't been here when it's been successful. Hopefully they want to be a part of that. I want to be a part of that. And I think I think these are interesting because it, it it gives you a sense that Manchester United and Ole Gunnar Solskjaer aren't really in control of what's happening with their um, transfers, even at this relatively late stage of the window, um, less than three weeks left to complete incoming deals. Um, with Solskjaer talking about there could be two or three players coming in, depending on whether players go, and, and talking about how... Um, the ones that might want to leave now is very um, interesting language given that we know Pogba wants to go to Real Madrid, Lukaku wants to go to Inter and De Gea hasn't been happy uh, with his contract offers and has been looking for options elsewhere. So, um, interesting situation for United to be in um, to still have that degree of uncertainty over, over who they're going to buy, how many they're going to buy uh, and who they're going to have to replace. And contrast, uh, contrast that, Duncan, as well, with, um, I thought, what was the most interesting um, line from the Brendan Rogers interview um, when he talked about Maguire's valuation not yet being met. He was asked if the club were comfortable with the idea of losing Maguire, and his response was, we're very comfortable. Of course, we've looked at other players to come in and replace him. Now, read between the lines there, and that says, look, we, we're absolutely sure he's going to leave. We know he's going to leave because we know that the club who are pursuing Manchester United will eventually come up with the right offer. And yes, we've already been uh, working on his replacement. So 
you're saying that you know Solskjaer's not actually or Manchester United even are not not really in control of the, the transfers out and of their club, whereas Brendan Rodgers seems to be in a very much more comfortable place in terms of transfers out and in of his club. Yes, although you have the difficulty here that because the transfer fee um, for Maguire is going to be so high, uh, the other English clubs where Leicester are looking for replacements will ask for um, as big a chunk of that that transfer uh, money that Leicester are going to receive from Maguire for the replacement. Um, and you know, I think that there you you have part of the uh, the explanation why why you have a delay. Because um, clubs will take advantage when they when they see a club who wants to buy from them with a large influx of cash, they'll try and grab, grab as much of that as possible. The avarice of football clubs knows no bounds. And from Manchester United to Tottenham Hotspur, Duncan, where we've got some interesting developments today regarding fullbacks. And I'm wondering if um, our old friend Daniel Leverage has uh, also got his um, radar on with regards to new ones because it seems that they could lose two, if not three, this summer. Yes, um, Kieran Trippier um, on his way to Atletico Madrid, which is, uh, I think, an admirable move on, on Trippier's part, having the... Um, the desire to go and uh, further his career at one of the top European clubs and test himself in a different environment. I think the word you're looking for there is cojones, Duncan. Cojones. <laughs> <laughs> yes, he can put a lot of curl in those cojones when he when he sends them. <laughs> sends 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 his free kicks into the area. Um, uh, obviously, a player who was uh, uh, linked with Juventus as well. Um, I think uh, the interesting uh, one of the interesting aspects here is that Tottenham, we told you um, a couple of weeks ago, were prepared to sell both uh, Trippier and Sergio Aurier, Um and that is one of those players moving out. We also told you that they've been in discussions with um, Dani Alves uh, about the possibility of coming in um, and uh, and replacing those players and then sharing the right back role with Carl um, Walker-Peters. Um, the, that deal has not been secured. I can update you on that. And um, Danny's still choosing between a number of options. Um, obviously, as we said before, he has options to go back to Brazil. Um, he also has strong options in, in Serie A. Um, so uh, look to that to be resolved um, before the end of this month. Um, and uh, another interesting aspect of what Tottenham are doing is uh, not taking Danny Rose on their pre-season tour with a view to selling uh, Rose, a player who they have uh, effectively been actively marketing for over a year. Um, but I think an unusual um, setup to, to not take the player on the pre-season tour. I'm not aware of that happening before with a, with a senior um, first-team player who, albeit is for sale, um, there is no uh, deal in place to sell him as yet. And, uh, and I don't think Danny Rose will be an easy sell either because uh, uh, obviously Daniel Levy will not want to let him go for a low price and, uh, and Rose will be looking for substantial wages. So um, quite an unusual um, decision by, by Tottenham not to take him on the pre-season tour. Absolutely. Um, quick update on um, our old friend Matthias De Ligt, who was looking like becoming the transfer saga of the summer, but thankfully it seems his move to Italy is almost complete, Duncan. Yes, he flew to Torino last night 
um, and will take his medical today. Um, I had an interesting conversation with Ajax yesterday um, about the, the transfer fee, which has been reported in Italy um, as 75 million euros, including bonuses, and by another source, as 75 million euros plus bonuses. What I was told uh, yesterday was that uh, Mark Overmars, the uh, director of football at Ajax, was still negotiating the fee, even after that news had come out from Italy that it had been agreed. Um, Ajax holding to uh, their uh, original demands, which is that they get slightly more than the, the fee they agreed with Barcelona for Frankie de Jong, which was 75 million plus uh, 11 million of performance-related uh, variables. And they uh, remained confident that they would get the fee to that level um, before letting the Ligt go. So... Um, uh, impressive deal for Juventus. Um, they've got the, the player that uh, almost every top club in Europe wanted to sign. Um, they got back into bed with Mino Raiola, so they paid a, a very large commission to do that deal. Um, the reports in Italy are that they have also agreed a release clause of €150 million, Euros, which will come into effect in at the beginning of his third season which is uh, quite a significant compromise to make when you're, when you're buying a player um, on such a high transfer fee for such high salary and with a big commission involved. We'll see if that gets confirmed um, in the, at the Italian end. But certainly, um, big advantage to Juventus in terms of their pursuit of the Champions League going forward um, and uh, quite a player for uh, Maurizio Sarri to have as a gift um, for his uh, first season as, uh, as coach of the club. And of course, we should raise a glass of Prosecco to transfer window Fratello Aurelio Capaldi, who absolutely called and nailed this deal three weeks ago, right here on the Transfer Window podcast. Now, I know the news has taken up a bit of time on this Wednesday podcast, guys, but as ever, it is your questions answered uh, when we directly respond to you when you've given us questions on social media, as you all know. We're going to start with Liverpool, Duncan, because the lack of activity there has, I think, caused a little bit of concern for uh, the Liverpool faithful, who I know you're very close to. Uh, and I'm going to give you a question from Somil Dave at 100 mil Dave. I'm hoping that's referring to his fortune in the bank. Uh, you maybe could help Liverpool out. And the question is, is Liverpool's lack of activity in the transfer window a show of strength and faith in their solid squad or its complacency? Even City, who have had better squads than LFC, have invested in Mares and Rodri in the last two windows. We are to think no big incoming is good for the team. Is it good for the team or is it better for the team to keep it solid? Well, Liverpool have a very good team. Um... They they ran Manchester City close for the title last season. They won the Champions League. Um, you can understand their uh, stated position that they don't feel uh, it needs uh, a great deal of work on it, and uh, and it can benefit from being held together and and developing it. And they do have that um, target in front of them um, in the sense that winning the Premier League ending that long, uh, multiple-decade drought of, uh, of English league titles is still the overriding ambition of the club. Uh, it hasn't been achieved yet. Um, 
that can be used to drive the players on um, to do more this season than they did last season. You know, you saw Pep Guardiola after his first um, Premier League title with Manchester City talking about how difficult it was to do that back-to-back and how his focus was in, on preventing the players from becoming complacent and getting a better performance still the next season uh, and winning the title again. I, I think Liverpool psychologically have an advantage there because they haven't achieved the principal goal which is to win the league title. Do they need reinforcements? Yes, they clearly do need reinforcements. Um, they they don't have cover at left back for um, Andy Robertson. I've said many times that, uh, that there's probably a, a lack of creativity in the midfield, which would, if they could add a creative midfielder, would strengthen things. They could do with cover um, up front. They've managed to secure Divo Carigi to a, a longer-term deal. So they, they now have um, an alternative centre-forward who um, is you know, riding a wave of confidence after his contributions at the, at the tail end of the season. Um, there is uh, a long-standing interest in Nicola, Nicola Pepe at Lille. Um, they have talked to the player's agent um, about a move. Uh, the feeling at Lille uh, is that that deal will only happen if uh, Liverpool sell one of their top strikers. And at Lille, they believe that uh, the possibility is that Mo Salah uh, will move down the line and then Nicola Pepe has been identified as replacement there. Um, There are obviously limitations on Liverpool from a financial perspective in that they have uh, spent heavily on players in recent seasons, breaking transfer records on multiple occasions. They took a lot of money for Philippe Coutinho, which allowed them to uh, lay off uh, much of the transfer fee costs. But alongside those transfers, they've handed out very substantial uh, salaries to the players they bought and also upgraded almost every um, key player in their squad uh, during that time. So I think the... the, the um, increase in their, their wage bill for the 17-18 the season was over 20% um, with an expectation that they might do something again last season of, of that level. So, so they do have uh, a financial limit on them in terms of if you'd want to, to go and do Nicola Pepe this summer and add them to the squad and give yourself more options, which would probably be the dream scenario, then you're, you're looking at £60 million um, plus to do that deal um, and whether they can afford to do that and give the player the wages is the question I think the contrast with City is interesting here because ultimately that's going to be the test um, of whether they win the title it looks like it's going to be City versus Liverpool head to head for that title again have Liverpool got stronger obviously they haven't because they haven't added any players have Manchester City got stronger um, I think there's a question mark over that. Yes, Rodri is a, is a, a really good addition. Um, and I think long term will definitely uh, strengthen their squad considerably and that they should get years of, uh, of uh, good quality play out of them. It gives them an alternative to Fernandinho in the midfield, which um, Guardiola has been looking for for a long time. But they've lost Vincent Company. Um, they haven't replaced a centre-back uh, Guardiola has reservations about um, about uh, John Stones uh, 
performances on the field and his behaviour off the field last season. So Stones would be the obvious uh, man to uh, return to being the first choice uh, right-sided centre-back in that defence of four. But um, in an ideal world, I don't think Guardiola would want to have John Stones there. We'd like to have a replacement player, which they don't have. Uh, Nikola Otamendi wants to leave the club, so they have a, another um, question mark at, at centre-back. They are close to doing a deal for Jean Cancelo, which would be um, a big uh, improvement for them, I believe, in the right-back area. Um, but as yet, that's, that's not gone through. And then they have the question mark over Leroy Zani, um, who Bayern Munich want to buy, who um, Manchester City are prepared to sell if uh, Zani decides his preference is to leave the club, um, but want uh, at least €100 million Euros for and Bayern's um, budget for that, that acquisition has been €80 million. Euros. Um, City are briefing that they expect Zani to stay and they expect him to sign a new contract which if they have that happen, then I would say their squad has improved over last season because they won't have lost Sani. But if they lose Sani on top of company, then I see them considerably weaker both defensively and weaker in, in, a, in an attacking perspective because Sani has that um, pace and a, a, a little bit of difference in the way he plays that, that City have used to break down stubborn defences um, over the last two seasons and uh, very much helped them become Premier League winners. So I think the comparison here is where are City, where are Liverpool? And as things stand, there is the possibility that Liverpool could go into next season without adding any players and be in a relatively stronger position uh, in terms of where their squad is to what City's is. I would say if Sani goes, then City will be weaker going into next season, whereas Liverpool are effectively where they were before um, and potentially a bit stronger with that psychological edge of having won uh, a major title and the target, the defined target of the Premier League ahead of them. So Duncan, I spoke to someone close to Jurgen Klopp um, in the last week or so and um, and asked the same question, in fact, that uh, um, Samuel Dave has asked us. And the response I got was quite interesting. And that was when, after the, um, the City tour of, with the Champions League trophy, etc., etc., Klopp told each and every one of his players in a, a kind of, like, effectively team meeting, look, you're European champions. You're going to go now and have time off, rest and recuperate, enjoy yourselves. But come back remembering you're European champions. Because I have faith in you and you have to have faith that next season we'll do something special. And I'm told also that he stayed in touch with all of his players who were playing in Copa America, African Cup of Nations, uh, and even the ones who were just simply on the beach. And um, stayed in touch and said, look, remember what I said, you're coming back to something special next season. And what we know about Klopp is, unlike Guardiola, who can be quite a cold fish, and, and, and difficult to interpret and uh, quite difficult to communicate with in, in, in certain ways. Klopp's very touchy-feely. He's very emotional, very emotional with his players. Remember those scenes um, on the pitch after the Champions League win? I think probably he is gambling. And I say gamble, meaning it is a punt. 
that in not bringing players in this summer and improving the squad, he's saying to the players he has, now go win the Premier League. I'm not going to replace you. I'm not going to put you under pressure in terms of your place in the team. What I'm going to do is I'm going to put my full faith in you that we came so close last season to beating City to the Premier League title, but we did win the Champions League. And this is a big mental um, improvement for those players in terms of winning a massive trophy. And so by putting his faith and by stating his faith in those same players, he's hoping that they will now go to a different level and that's the level of beating City in the Premier League. Now, as I've said, this is definitely a punt. Um, Sir Alex Ferguson used to say, and of course he's Liverpool fans' favourite manager, that after he'd won a trophy, the first thing he'd say to his team was, right, we have to go again and be better. But usually he has a couple of players just to say, listen, no one's safe here. Now, Klopp, if he chooses not to do that, I think is putting himself under more pressure than perhaps he needs to be because he certainly does have, I think, the financial wherewithal to at least strengthen the squad or augment the squad in some ways. I'm not sure it's a choice on Klopp's part. There was an interview uh, during the summer where he he, uh, talked about how the other clubs are spending significant amounts and we need to be spending significant amounts as well. Um, I think Klopp trusts very much the people who do the transfer business for him. Um, He trusts the the team who seek replacements for the areas um, and and improvements for the areas that he feels the team need additions in. Um, But I am not convinced that if Klopp had his way um, and there was a freedom of, of budget to spend that he wouldn't spend to at least augment with a couple of, uh, of players um, because the, their squad is um, a bit shallow. Um, the, the best 11 are, are very obvious and very good, um, but the lack of backup at, at, at fullback um, when fullback is such an important position or turned into such an important position for them from an attacking perspective last season, um, the lack of backup a real uh, reliable backup to Manny and Salah. Um, again, two players fundamental to the way they play um, would, I think, worry uh, most managers. In, in an ideal world, you would get uh, replacements um, or alternatives into the squad so you could share the load some more and you were um, in a position uh, to adapt when injuries come along because they didn't really suffer many injuries to key players uh, last season. Um, and um, if you're trying to compete simultaneously for Champions League and Premier League and trying to compete in a, in a scenario where you're looking at the best part of 100 points uh, to win the Premier League, um, it's risky to depend on all of your, your top players or the majority of your top players staying fit uh, for an entire season. And just to back you up on that, Duncan, uh, and I'm sure you've had a similar experience. In 25 years working in football in various different ways, I've yet to meet a chairman or a chief executive or an owner for that matter who said to me, you never guess what? The manager came to me today and said he didn't want any new players. <laughs> <laughs> it's just a phrase they've never heard. So from one club not doing much business so far in this window to another, and Rhys Williams has um, very succinctly 
um, put this one to you, Duncan, as a man who um, has reported very, very insightfully on Wolverhampton Wanderers, and that is what's going on at Wolves. Yeah, it's surprising um, lack of activity so far this summer, um, but they are, I'm told, working on two, at least two um, significant uh, additions to the squad as they go into their um, first season um, under Nuno in uh, European football. Um, I'm told they're looking for a top level centre forward, a top level striker um, at uh, uh, an a, in a good age range who's able to go straight into the team and perform at a high level. Um, so you're talking significant um, transfer fee and salary for that player. And similarly, um, they want an additional centre-back, again, um, age range where he can go straight into the squad um, and straight into the first team if necessary and perform at a high level. Um, so um, they're working on those and, uh, and the expectation would, would have to be that they'll get something um, before the, the end of this transfer window. And they obviously have um, their, uh, their links um, with Jesse Footy um, to help them secure those kind of players. I think the way Jesse Footy work in the transfer market, you quite often see um, significant deals being done um, in the last stages of the window because of the uh, the links and the connections that uh, George Mendes has with um, a range of European clubs and his, his ability to put deals of that magnitude together in a, in a short space of time. So um, I wouldn't give up all hope if I was a, a Wolverhampton fan. Um, they've been uh, supremely well organised since uh, the Chinese, pretty much since the Chinese takeover of the club and, and certainly over the last two seasons as they've gone from the Championship playing exceptionally good football into the Premier League and, uh, and taking that European place uh, straight away in their uh, their first season so um, um, I would expect them to uh, have find some uh, good answers uh, before the actual Premier League season starts Knowing George Mendes and the way he works Duncan I suspect um, Wolves already have a list of players who they expect to sign and they're just waiting for the right moment because the price will drop or the deal will become better for them and the players will be there for the first game of the season in about three weeks time we're going to move away from the Premier League, kind of, uh, to a more international question from Piaris Kelly. Um, unusually, this is what's called a double header, as he's given us two tweets. So just bear with me, Duncan, while I read um, the full two question, well, the full question out, because he's um, given us a quite a lot of detail. And certainly this is um, an interesting topic. Piaris says, are there signs that the transfer bubble is about to burst? With an increasing amount of stars, Bale, Sanchez, Ozo, being examples, unable to be moved on by their clubs. The likes of Real or Bayern unable to structure deals for Pogba or Sani. And risks for clubs like Manchester United paying over the odds for someone like Maguire, only to potentially end up in another Sanchez situation where a star player, they can't move on uh, and he's a transfer flop. Seems like something is broken with the system. Do you agree with that, Duncan? I think... Um I think he identifies a very good point, which is that there is, if you look at this market, you've got players like Gareth Bale, who was world record transfer fee, um, Philippe Coutinho, um, most expensive player to move out of the Premier League, Alexis Sanchez, uh, best played paid player 
in the Premier League. Um, Usman Dembele, um, one of the, the, the very expensive signings that uh, Barcelona made to replace Neymar. Um, Neymar himself. Um, you've got a, a number of players who were the most valuable in their category and extremely highly valued both by their selling clubs and by their buying clubs. Uh, recently, very recently in the case of some of those individuals, um, all available in the market um, and all uh, proving extremely difficult to move. Um, and it shows you how easy it is to make a mistake that because of the scale of the transfer fees and because of the scale of the salaries that are being paid to these players after the, the transfer fees are paid, a mistake that becomes extremely hard to um, fix. Uh, Gareth Bale is refusing to leave Real Madrid um, unless he is paid for the remaining three years of his contract um, with a, a salary that um, is 21 million net. Um, understand that the, the complication in, uh, with one of the complications with Bale moving on is that he has commercial contracts, some of which are predicated on him being a Real Madrid player. So if he leaves Real Madrid, those commercial contracts fall away in value or fall away completely. Therefore, he wants to be compensated to leave. Um, and I think it is, it's, it's kind of a side effect, an inevitable side effect of the accelerating transfer fees. Clubs, clubs want, will always want to sign the best talent because they know that signing the best talent is the way to success on the field. Um, fees of... of uh, the inflation and transfer fees has been huge. Um, obviously, the uh, advent of nation-state clubs, um, Paris Saint-Germain and Manchester City, um, putting over a billion of euros um, commitments into transfer fees over the last 10 years each, has accelerated um, the cost of, of securing players. And when players come on these bigger transfers, they ask for, for bigger salaries. Um, that's great if the player comes and it works. Um, if he's a success, no problem. But if he's not a success, then you have the issues. And um, I, I'm not, I don't particularly see what the solution is. We talk about the bubble bursting. Um, I don't think the bubble will burst in terms of clubs not being prepared to put the big transfer fees down for the players they want. Um, I think there will always be that desire to spend as much as possible, as much as the club can viably put into a deal to secure a player. And we've seen already some very big deals go through this summer and with the expectation that there'll be, there'll be more to come. Um, what I think will be a break on this or potentially will be a break on this is the ability of clubs to put the transfer fees down because a, a large amount of their money is captured in the salaries of players they've already bought and because they can't do what they used to do, which is um, if you make a mistake in the transfer market, sell to a lesser club easily. Um, so you get these bail situations, Alexis Sanchez situations where the, where the clubs are stuck with players um, and can't find a market for them. I think there's, there's, there's a similar thing going on in the Premier League um, where it's not 
it's not at the same financial level, but what you see is very few of the more established Premier League players um, who have had decent uh, Premier League careers, um, but uh, either are out of contract at their current clubs or are unwanted by their clubs. Uh, We saw Fabian Delft go to um, Everton from Manchester City last week, and that's kind of an outlier. Um, There are very few of those um, traditional transfers, if you'd like, where a a top club decides a a player like Delft isn't um, good enough for them anymore and then they offload them to an Everton um, or some other uh, mid-level club who who happily buy the player who's got uh, Manchester City and Manchester United associated with them uh, and offer them a few more years of contract. Not many clubs are, are interested in doing that anymore. The focus has been on younger talents, um, cheaper talents, guys with resale value, guys who they think they can develop and sell on um, uh, down the line. So th- there's definitely been a shift in, in the transfer market um, associated, I think, on, when it comes to these older players with um, analytics and uh, and, a, and a focus on clubs like uh, the success of clubs like Tottenham and trying to copy their model. Uh, and then this this uh, change at the top end of the market where where the, the, the prices and wages are so high, um, it's very hard to find buyers to take uh, failed signings on. I think that's backed up, Duncan, by... Um, just give me th- I'll give you three examples of players who not so long ago were being hailed as the the big thing or the, the saviour of English football in terms of strikers. All out of contract, without clubs. Daniel Sturridge, Danny Welbeck, Saido Berahino. All of whose have been released by their clubs, as yet do not have a new club. But yet, if you asked about those players five years ago, they were being rated in the 35, 40, maybe even 50 million category in terms of a transfer. And now they're out of contract and out of a job. Now, I don't think the bubble's burst. I agree with you that. But I think it's being deflated. Um, I think that we've seen the fact that Barcelona are not willing to take Neymar back for the price that PSG paid for him. Um, obviously, there has some there are some issues with regards to Neymar's on and off field activities, which suggest that he may not be worth uh, the money that PSG paid for him uh, two years ago. Now, and that's what Barcelona are kind of using their bargaining chip. The only sort of player that I see now in world football, and of course, you don't know about youngsters who are coming through in different countries who, who may well be better. I think the only player who potentially could reinflate the bubble and beat Neymar's transfer would be Kylian Mbappe. Because at 19, he has all the attributes to be a Ballon d'Or winner. Uh, he will be absolutely in demand. And we know already that he doesn't see the rest of his career being at Paris Saint-Germain. So he will be, I think, the one player who, if we were to predict in the next one, two, three years would break that world record transfer uh, and you'd have to say it would be most likely his destination would be Barcelona or Real Madrid that he would be the guy who would be I think the one player in the current crop who might um, keep that market inflated Yeah I agree I think um, as I was saying players at the top end clubs want to sign them 
and they'll, and they'll spend the money required to get them. And Kylian Mbappe looks like he's going to be a, a multiple Ballon d'Or winner. Um, and clubs will pay what's required to get hold of him. And, and probably with Mbappe, you don't face that problem of... Uh, diminishing value. I mean, Bernie Mandic um, on last Friday's podcast talked about how he felt that nine out of ten transfers, the, the prices were um, overinflated and it was only on the, the elite players such as Cristiano Ronaldo, Lionel Messi, that you got true value for money. And um, maybe what we're seeing now is a reflection of what, what Bernie was, uh, was identifying in that podcast. So, your question's answered. I hope you all enjoyed that. And remember, you can join the debate uh, after this podcast on social media. We'll remind you of the handles at the end. But now, of course, it's time for the infamous Dunkey Awards when we present uh, the classic statuette of the great Duncan Castles to what we feel is the best candidate in a category, which normally uh, we describe, but we obviously invite you to to do it as well. So, if you've got any um, ideas for next Wednesday's donkeys, then please send them to the usual addresses. We'll have a little bit of fun here. Um, we mentioned England's uh, amazing World Cup cricket win last uh, Monday's podcast. So, and Owen Morgan, the captain of the England cricket team, took his players to Number Ten Downing Street for a drinks reception with the outgoing Prime Minister, Theresa May, and apparently and reportedly told them they had to calm down on the drinking because he didn't want a repeat of the scenes of 2005 when certain people who shall remain nameless, Kevin Peterson and Freddie Funtoff, uh, were somewhat overdone it and were falling over in the garden behind that lovely house in Downing Street. So this is going to be the Owen Morgan Award for warning you about over-celebrating or celebrations which are not quite appropriate in the aftermath of a match. Now, Duncan, I'm just going to open the uh, golden envelope here. Unfortunately, it's not the white leather one that we had a couple of weeks ago. Hang on. This is proving a bit difficult, this one. There we go. So, the candidates are Duncan. Our old favourite, Mr. Cesc Fabregas, the man who, in the wake of a match for Arsenal against Manchester United, threw pizza at Sir Alex Ferguson. Probably not his finest moment. Uh, we couldn't go, of course, in an award about over-celebrating or inappropriate celebrating without mentioning Mr John Terry at the 2012 Champions League final and that infamous appearance on the pitch in his shin guards. My personal favourite, and I'm not trying to influence you in any way, Duncan, is uh, an old Chelsea favourite and legend, Mr Celestine, what a first name that is, Baba Yarrow, who was told to me by one of Chelsea's coaches at the time he said, when he played for Nigeria, who at the time were playing games at Loftus Road, a mere 3.7 miles from Stamford Bridge, would take three days to return from a Nigeria game at Loftus Road. But he'd managed to come back in a day if he was playing in Nigeria. Work that one out for yourselves in terms of celebrations, guys. Duncan, it's over to you. Who gets the valued statuette? Well, as amused as I am by the idea of uh, England's great uh, World Cup triumph being masterminded by an Irishman, I'm uh, even more amused by you the idea of an Irishman. You could you? You just couldn't help yourself. <laughs> I'm even more amused by the idea of an Irishman telling the English um, or the few English members of his team not to over-celebrate. Uh, and, and, and a Dubliner uh, as well. Too much. And a Dubliner. Indeed. Um, I, I, would, I would like to have seen... Um, one of that crew um, throw some pizza at Theresa May. After <laughs> um, so, 
So Sesk, Sesk has a shout. Um, John Terry, um, who can ever forget the man in, in full full kit, uh, waiting to run onto the field to, to lift the European trophy that um, his teammates had, had won for him. Um, but I think I think the winner here has to be Baba Yaro. I hadn't heard that story um, before, um, and uh, I think that's uh, fantastic. The, uh, the Nigerian uh, victory celebrations after uh, friendlies. Uh, at Loftus Road uh, and uh, and making the most of, uh, of a few days in London. So Baba Yaro wins the uh, the Owen Morgan Award. Uh, I love it. Baba, as he was affectionately known at Stamford Bridge, certainly a worthy winner of that one. This uh, is going to be the end of the Your Questions Answered podcast for this week. Um, as I said, please continue the debate with us um, at Transfer Podcast is the official handle at Duncan Castles for Duncan at Garbo SJ for me. Um, you've been very busy in the last few days uh, interacting and we appreciate that and we hope that continues. If you like the podcast, then please give something back. Go onto iTunes and give us a five-star review and then we can get even more people involved in the conversation. Now, very excited about this, people. I'm sure you will be as well. As I mentioned on Monday, we're doing a pre-season team special on Friday. We're going to take you inside the camp of a Premier League team and ask one of the star players what it's like to be caught up in the bubble of a pre-season tour. And also <clears throat> about the mechanics of transfers. So this is going to give you a unique insight, which we try to do as much as we can, into how football actually works. You get it here on the Transfer Podcast, you don't get it anywhere else. So join us for that, please, on Friday. And until then, we'll see you through the transfer window. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.